Everybody comfortable? Yeah. Get your ass up when I'm talking. Hey, take it easy. It's showtime. It's showtime. Yeah. Feel the magic and soul of the YBs. Yeah. Welcome to the show. Take two. That Davis show coming to you early in the morning. You can see by Ryan's face that it's early. He does not have his morning face. He's not a morning it's person. It's earlier really. for me than everybody else. Remember that. <laughs> yes, he is now on the west, west side, southwest, that is, in Tempe, Arizona. I am Kenneth Davis. Follow me at That's Davis. And Ryan is the executive producer of this show and Flippin' Friends. Follow him at Ryan B. Ski and Ryan B. Ski 1. A little bit later, we'll be joined by Sean Davis from ESPN 1000 here in Chicago and also co-host of the According to uh, Source podcast. Follow him at SD2Mics. Uh, so listen, I want to go off top real quick. Uh, off oh, top. Oh. Take it from the tippy. Off top is Bama Excellence. All right. Um, Bama Excellence. Bama Excellence. Um, I didn't think it. I would say midway through this year, I think it was proven that no team was going to beat this team, especially during the pandemic. Uh, to see what Devontae Smith and Mac Jones and, and and Harris did last night. And Nick Saban was terrific. Shout out to Ohio State. They uh, definitely gave it a good go. I'll tell you one thing, too, to cut through all that. The thing that stood out to me the most about that game was watching a lot of those kids go out injured and thinking that they don't get paid uh, to play at such a high level on top of that plan due to the pandemic. But uh, that was definitely one of my off tops. Uh, Bama taking the national championship game. Nick Saban getting his seven Alabama, his seventh national championship in Alabama, getting their sixth during the Nick Saban dynasty. So that definitely stood out. But I got another off top. Wait, I got one for the Alabama. I'm Did sorry. You notice right. the Nick Saban turkey neck going on there? No, I didn't. It was like spilling over the collar of his shirt. Oh, my good guy. We don't got time for some neck surgery with all the money he's got? Listen, he's a man, and men don't go get neck surgeries, Ryan, especially men in Alabama. All right, so you respect, you respect that. National champions don't need neck surgeries. All right, you let that gullet hang out. He better hope that it's never a Turkey Bowl national championship. Otherwise, See, it'll be relentless. You just couldn't let this, all right, this greatness just be. You had to take some type of hate and angst and point it directly at Nick Saban. Nick I was Saban blown does. away. He's doing the post-game press conference. I was like, where's Nick? I got this I, turkey right here right now. I didn't see the, the turkey neck. I didn't pay any attention to it. All I saw was excellence. I, didn't, I, wasn't, I wasn't looking at that man's neck and meat. Uh, but listen, uh, a friend of Nick Saban, somebody that uh, he definitely uh, goes to and talks coaching with is Bill Belichick. And uh, Bill Belichick yesterday said no to the Medal of Freedom from Donald Trump. All right, so shout out to Bill Belichick in this year where he's not in the playoffs, but he's still got another victory for me and telling no Trumpio, no, I don't want your Trump freaking medal. <laughs> All right, I stole that one from my believe Jesus and Miro. All right, and my last um, off top is uh, CPS, yes, no, Monday. CPS, no, yesterday. CPS went back to school for pre-K and special needs kids. I have a, a, a child that is in pre-K. My daughter is four years old. Uh, we decided to keep her at home uh, since both of us are working from home. Um, and also our 11-year-old, 
uh, he would do hybrid, how it's set up for the kids that are in uh, K through eight. They would come back in February and go a couple of days out of the week. So they wouldn't even go the same amount of days. She would go five days. He would probably go two days. Uh, so it really doesn't make sense. On top of that, not having vaccination and taking the risk, even though the numbers tell us that kids aren't super spreaders, quote unquote. But the thing was, and I thought about you, Ryan, when I put this on off top, the thing was looking yesterday at uh, the kids that are in the classroom. So you have the kids that are remote, uh, still remote. And then you have the kids in the classroom. And you can see the kids in the classroom. Masks, masks were at half staff, to say the least. All right. Some masks were, masks were totally <laughs> off the face. The masks uh, were honoring the fallen. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's terrible. Hey, put that mask halfway down. <laughs> right, what took place like... last week, especially since the White House waited to even fly their masks, their, their flags at half staff uh, later than anybody else. Uh, but yeah, looking at the kids yesterday with the masks off their face in school, I, I was happy with the decision that we made because I can't afford to catch the Rona again. If I've had caught the Rona, I feel like if I've caught it, I've caught it twice by now. And I don't need any more of that, Rona. Um, I, I'm getting closer, Ryan. I know we've talked about it on Flipping France to, as far as we're going to take the vaccination and what I'm getting closer just to getting the vaccination out the way so I don't necessarily have to worry about or worry as much because even with the vaccination, you can still pass on the coronavirus. Uh, I, I also posted a pretty good article uh, from Time yesterday talking about the genetic editing of vaccine, vaccines and everything about it. It kind of gives you the details and you yourself can weigh the pros and the cons. But yeah, that was the thing. Uh, Kelsey's teacher said to one of the kids, because Kelsey's teacher, she's not in the classroom yet. Cause she went to, uh, she went out of town during uh, Christmas break. Uh, but uh, she said, basically, I'm going to drink that water right there. She said, basically, she told a kid, like, I'm not coming back in that classroom if you're going to be wearing that mask like that. Cause the kid's mask was just totally off the face. So yeah, that's my off tops for this morning. As me and Brian venture into doing a little bit of morning shows uh, before we start to uh, make the donuts, to say the least. Do you have any more off tops? Uh, I don't think so. None that I can. Uh, I got to get this thing moving right here. Get the gears rolling. You got to get some coffee or something, man. Just, just a little, I put the little coffee of... on, but it would start beeping and everything, and I don't want that noise on here. All right. So switching off and do a little bit of Bears chatter. Uh, the Bears uh, took that L from the Saints this Sunday. Uh, the game... The game was close initially. Um, uh, I, I, one of the problems I had, and I said this to Sean and Maya yesterday, uh, we were talking to Wester, uh, Lester Wilfong. Um, I had an issue with, and I, I get tired of this saying, we're playing at this team and we can't go for three. We have to go for seven or six and get the extra point. Um, your team, you don't score enough uh, consistently sometimes to not take those three points. And at one point, if the Bears had just gotten three field goals, they would have just been down by a point. And I, of course, you look at the end of the game, they would have needed more points. But still, even just psyche and momentum-wise, it's better to feel like we're right there and we're a score away from taking the lead than trying to always go for this this new thing where they did it the last couple of games and they're going for it on fourth down. And that is Matt Nagy calling that play. We can talk about who is Bill Lazor and his influence, Matt Nagy's influence over the offense. But Matt Nagy definitely makes the decisions that they're going to go for it on fourth or not. And that's one thing that I'm getting tired of. And I, well, I, I, yeah, I was tired of since the season's over. Uh, but seeing them not just take the three, you know, like sometimes do just take, especially when Mitch was playing the way he was playing and everyone has kind of figured out what you're trying to do with this offense. Sometimes it's just better to go ahead and take the three and stop trying to play like you're some type of scoring juggernaut. That's just necessarily how I feel. 
Yeah, I get that. Um, I'm with you. I also understand, I think, what the Bears are trying to do, too, where, I mean, you saw it kind of in that Green Bay game. They kept going for that field goal early on, early on, and then a big play strike. All of a sudden, you're down big scores, and now you need more pressure to get touchdowns. And every time you get to the red zone, and you've only had so many opportunities getting to the red zone, you feel kind of this urge to take advantage of the opportunity, and then... You know, you could debate right there at that point whether just getting some points versus attempting to get that touchdown that really gets you in the game or gives you a lead. But I, I don't know. I, I don't know how you felt with that Saints game. I, after Javon Wims dropped that touchdown, ooh, ooh, that and like you needed that play. I, it reminded me of the Green Bay game when they got that fumble recovery and like the 15 of Green Bay is after that punt. Like, you needed that big play. You got that big play early. You couldn't take advantage of it. And that's the story of the Bears' season overall. Like, they just don't take advantage of their opportunities when they present themselves. And they're always – it's just that limited amount of opportunities. They never make a lot of opportunities happen. It's not like – even just look at, like, Cleveland, who just gets 28-0 at the first quarter against Steelers – and then the Steelers come back a little bit, but they still are able to put them away with some touchdowns and some points. I don't know with the Bears. This just they they have just too little opportunities that they can create a positiveness when it comes to scoring. They can't mm-hmm. take advantage of those opportunities when they do present themselves. And to me, that's that's what we talk about as a bad football team. And we know that they're not a bad team. They're just not good. All right, and to continue the Bears discussion, we're going to switch over and bring in uh, one of my big brothers. I don't play the big brother game too much. We're going to bring in SD2 Mike, Sean Davis from ESPN Chicago and also co-host of the According to a Source podcast. Uh, follow that at uh, According to a, what, AS2, what, A2S Pod 1. Let me get that correct, Sean. So, Sean. That's it, A2S Pod 1. With Chris, with, with, with Chris and also our, our man, uh, Crawford, uh, man in the ones and twos on that podcast, a really good podcast. I also saw the Lamont Pope uh, podcast you dropped. We got to do a little socks chat at the end of this. Uh, dropping off the daughter? Well, how, well how's college? We, we, I, got to, I haven't checked in on you, sir. It's Liz's first semester. I'm a proud papa, man. How is it with the pandemic and stuff? She has her own apartment off campus. Uh, Look at that. Lo- Look at that. Long story short, the decision we made as parents was to just send her out there so she could begin her development as right. an, into adulthood. You know, we uh-huh. weighed the options. Uh, we went out there. We checked out the facility she was going to be staying at. You know, we were very pleased with it. And uh, she had a really nice roommate uh, from Atlanta that made us feel comfortable. So, yeah, we just we wanted her to start learning how to be on her own and go through the trials and errors of uh, becoming an adult. So we didn't want to stunt that by keeping her under us for another year or so. That's dope. That's dope, brother. I'm proud of y'all. You yeah. and y'all, did, y'all did a great job. So listen, man, me and Ryan was talking about the Bears. I got to get your thoughts on the Bears this this season this in, in its totality from beginning into the playoffs and how you felt about it. Well, I think if I could just kind of surmise it, um, identity would be the word that I would use. And from the beginning of the season, even when they were five and one, I still felt like they had no identity. Mm. Like, what is the identity of this team? Like, we're winning games. You know, we're coming back winning games. Uh, we're getting lucky winning games. 
But what's the identity? What are we going to hang our hat on as we go into the meat of this schedule and start to face the tougher teams on this schedule? And we saw once they hit the meat of the schedule, man, we saw what this team was. You know, they are 8-18. and 18. That's what most of us pretty much predicted that before the season, 8-8, eight and 9-7 eight, and seven maybe. And mm. maybe they back into the playoffs. And we got exactly what we thought this team would be. Uh, coming off that 13-3 and three season two years ago, it seems like it was five or six years ago. That's how far away it seems like. <laughs> because, you know, the drop-off, especially on the defensive side of the ball, and mm-hmm. I'll start there because I think the identity of this team going back to that 13-3 and three season started with the defensive side of the ball. And when you make a move to get a guy like Khalil Mack and you give up the draft equity that you gave up to get that guy, in connection with, you know, drafting Mitch Trubisky second overall, Ryan Pace put all his chips in the middle of the table. That's what he went all in. He went all in, and guess what? He lost. He lost. So now it's time to recalibrate, man. You lost the identity of the team. You lost the identity of the franchise, which is for a long time been defense, offensive line, defensive line, run the ball. Hmm play action and throw deep. That's that's been the identity of this team for years. And when you lose that and the defense can't hold up this end of the bargain and you're 26th in the NFL in defense two years consecutively, nah, something needs to be done. That Davis show here with Sean Davis, uh, producer of ESPN, uh, also co-host of According to a Source podcast. Make sure you check that out. Sean, what would you do to make these changes? And also, on top of that, I'm, I'm talking about player-wise, but also if we're talking about front offices and coaches, if you had your uh, your desired options, what would you do to move this, this Bears team into probably getting to contention uh, a couple years down in the future if possible? So let's start, let's go with every level, right? From a player standpoint, you have to get rid of some of that defensive money. We like talked about that in, in the text thread the other yeah, day. Yeah, everybody got paid off of that one 13-3 season. Eddie Jackson, who couldn't tackle in college. Uh, you know, I know that's your I boy. know you was hating on him in college, boy. I see, see it in your eyes right now. You no. Know, <laughs> roll Tide. You know, I know that's your guy. But he struggled at cornerback initially, mm-hmm. right? They moved him to safety. And, yes, he's great in space. He can ball hawk. But he's really not good in the box, which is why I have a problem with Chuck Pagano's system because he seems to have him in the box a lot instead mm-hmm. of giving him that center field position where he can make plays and anticipate and watch the eyes of the quarterback. Then, once you get rid of the defensive money, I mean, do you trade Khalil Mack? Do you trade uh, Eddie Goldman? You didn't have him. I don't know how much of an impact that is. Akeem Hicks is a beast, but is he just as dominant as he was before the elbow injury? I don't know. Do you get rid of him? Uh, Cornerback is one of the most important, probably the third most important position in the NFL, third or fourth, especially with the passing game now. So do you move Cal Fuller, you know, and allow Jalen Johnson to grow into your number one? We're talking about not whether or not you're disappointed because I think Kyle Fuller has played well. He played ball this season. To me, yeah. on the defensive side, 
he was my favorite player this season with the wood that he was laying at this stage in his career. Usually you don't see players at his age try to separate the ball from, right. def- from offensive players the way he did this season. Yeah, I love the way he comes up and attacks uh, the running backs, especially in the run game from that cornerback position. Mm-hmm. But the cornerback position gives you the most equity in return mm-hmm. in a trade. And Khalil Mack would do the same thing. So, you know, those are the two guys that I would say – will give you the most draft equity coming back. And then you go up to administration. We know what needs to happen up top. We know we need more football minds in the organization. Will it change? You can't change the ownership. Nope. So there's nothing you can do about that. I mean, Ted Phillips, Ted Phillips is the money guy. We all know that, you know, and he's done a good job. Uh, I still think the NFL from a money standpoint is not too happy. I don't. I wouldn't say they're upset, but they're not too happy with the fact that the Bears, being the uh, charter franchise, just won't go and spend money to build a brand new stadium. Mm. You know, they chose to refurbish <laughs> Soldier Field <laughs> instead of just getting a brand new stadium. You know, that's what the NFL loves. They love for their uh, organizations to have these brand new pristine stadiums that, that increase revenue that each and every team share so everybody is blessed by it and all the owners are blessed and possibly you can get a Super Bowl there. You know, they were happy with Chicago to bring the draft here. Right. So you, you definitely know they would bring, they took, you know, the Super Bowl to cold weather uh, options. Yeah. Before, Minnesota, you know, Chicago. Detroit. Yeah. yeah. So Chicago would be another great option. But administration-wise, you know, you need some people in there that have a vision to really build a contending team, a consistent t- contending team. And um, who that could be, I don't know. You know, I have to take a step back and say to myself, is there anybody that they've been connected to that I would trust? Or, you know, now do we go to this supposed search firms? Because, you know, the search firm is what got us Ryan Pace. Yeah. You know, so you know, do Ernie Corsi and his consulting fees. No, man, I, man, I would bring in every <laughs> Chicago bear. I, I would include Tom Waddle and Colin sit down Cruz. and talk to the old guys and say, yeah. in your minds, what type of guy do we need to run this organization? Look, Bears wise, and uh, again, it, it definitely doesn't look like you'll get the, the you'll get both of them. But if it's a choice on who had to go between general manager Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy, uh, which would make the biggest difference next season, which one do you, would you say? Okay, this is about to be seesaw, man. Because on one hand, I would immediately say Ryan Pace mm-hmm. immediately, right? You cannot miss on your early picks, not the first and second rounders. And then you can't bet on a guy. Step. Let me ask you a question. Both of us watch college football. Mm-hmm. At what point in their lives was Mitch Trubisky ever better than Deshaun Watson or Patrick Mahomes? Never. I mean, it's not, and it's not even us just just being facetious. It's just the no. truth. And, you know, you you were you were beating me over the head with Deshaun Watson uh, that year that they were coming out. You were like you had the tent pole up. And was like it, may, and it did make the most sense. Uh, but even to go with that, to go with the Mahomes situation, and we all know that at Texas Tech, 
that you looked at that offense and didn't know if that could actually translate to the pros and will he be turnover prone. Ryan Pace said that he wanted to be bold. And the boldest choice would have mm-hmm. been Patrick Mahomes, actually. Absolutely. Because that, you would have been taking a guy with the most upside who had the, probably the, the lowest floor. You know what I'm saying? Because right. If he fails, he was going to fail. You know, like you had an issue because this kid would have been turned over the ball. So uh, that that definitely, you were right when it comes to Patrick Mahomes. But he, I mean, uh, with, with Deshaun Watson. But you had to take Patrick Mahomes over that. And I won't even say, but the fact that you went with a guy that couldn't even beat out uh, XFL player for the starting job at UNC. And Marquise Williams, yeah. Yeah, it says a lot about your desires. It, it makes you question why you, you picked that guy over those other two cats. Well, that right there was the demise of everything he was trying to put together, right? Because mm-hmm. if he takes either one of those other quarterbacks in every other decision he tried to make, we have a totally different outcome. Right. Right? So, yeah. Right. So on one hand, I can look at the entire picture and say, okay, he's done a decent job except for that one decision. But in the NFL, that one decision is the most important decision that you have to get right as a general manager. So then I go to Matt Nagy. Coming in the gate, I know you didn't really like Mitch Trubisky. Mm -hmm. And in doing so, in spite, you chose not to build an offense around what he could do. You tried to make a square peg fit into a round hole. And you forced, in spite, to go against Ryan Pace, you chose to say, look, this kid cannot do what we need him to do. That's your fault. Because as the head coach, you have to devise a plan with the talent you have, which all great coaches do. They're able to build a game plan, not only for the game, but for the entire season based upon the talent on their roster. Because the NFL is not like college football where you just stack five stars, four stars for two years until they're ready to play, and then all of a sudden you're ready to go. No. Salary cap, everything changes, especially when you get that big quarterback that's making 30, 40 million. Right. Now everybody else on the roster suffers. We've seen that. So with that being like that, I just think the decisions that Matt Nagy made early on to depend on that defense and to force Mitch Trubisky not to to acclimate himself to what he wanted, which was to run that Kansas City offense without the Kansas City pieces, which is crazy. That's crazy. You can't run an offense like that if you don't have Kelsey, if you don't have Tyreek Hill. Yes. If you don't have Patrick Mahomes. Like, the offense looked pedestrian with Alex Smith at the helm. Mm-hmm. in comparison to what it is with Patrick Mahomes. Because Alex Smith had those same weapons. He had Tyreek Hill. He had Travis Kelsey. But the offense was nowhere near as potent with him at the helm as it is with Patrick Mahomes. Mm-hmm. So with all of that being said, I would have to say I would get rid of Matt Nack. I feel you. I mean, because to I me. feel like selfishly, I think he put himself before his football team and the organization. And that's something that you just cannot do. And I think at some point and sometimes he's done Mitchell Trubisky a disservice 
by kind of throwing them under the bus in certain situations. Now, listen, of that Davis show here with Sean Davis, producer at ESPN 1000, also co-host of the According to a Source pod, that is A2S pod one. Uh, Sean, I'll say this. I said Nagy had to be the one because to a certain degree, there and you can't miss on number first picks, but at, Ryan Pace has hit too. You know, like, yeah. so out of both of them, there's been times that Ryan Pace has actually hit. But if Nagy is the offensive wonderkin and also supposed to be a quarterback guru, he's failed miserably. But also, yeah. if you even if you look at I can't put this on him because he's not the wide receiver coach. But if you look at that wide receiver room and the development of the players in that room, like Matt, offensively, Matt Nagy's supposed to be developing these players from the quarterback, from the skill positions. And it really has to come to fruition. And you listen, I'm not even the biggest David Montgomery guy. But you didn't even put him in a proper situation. No. Like you, you like you have failed at outside of keeping the team cohesive. But also, I think some of these guys are just pros. So I won't even give you all the props for not losing your locker room. But for you to be the offensive expert, you have brought nothing to this situation whatsoever. So to me, if I had to get one, it had to be him. You know, yeah. because you have you you've held us back, as you just mentioned with the Mitchell Trubisky. You you did not acclimate yourself and try to build this offense around Mitch. Like you, like and you said, he he has done Mitch a disservice because you kind of want to prove he was a bust so bad you yeah. didn't set him up properly to see how good you can get out of him. We all know he's not a really good quarterback whatsoever, or a really a good quarterback. He's decent. You know what I'm saying? He's he's a guy you wouldn't want to depend on, but you can sit there and say, hey, manage this, and you got some feet on you, so you may be able to get us some extra yards and, you know what I'm saying, move the chains. But still, you you didn't set that young man up uh, as, as best you could. So I would say Nagy also, Sean. Yeah, I have to go with that. And just the fact that there's no continuity. There's no continuity mm -hmm. between your general manager and your head coach. When you have those two, you know, at odds, over the most important position on your football team, then what else can you get but an eight and eight season and mid-performances? Listen, I gotta talk to you about the national championship game. You Let's came out it. you came out spicy and I love it. All right, kill coming at me and Tony Gill. Uh, we always go back and forth for the national game. I'm happy because you you brought it back in and we and I think I made a, I said Alabama was different. I put that posted that. The Alabama was different, and that's when you came and you said that the mobile quarterback was going to get us, and I'll say this. And I was going to sit there, but I was like, I'm going to wait. Um, Jalen Hurts, because I think the last time we all know that at Alabama, Jalen Hurts wasn't necessarily a proficient quarterback quarterback. You know what right. I'm saying? Yeah. But when you look at the fact that Nick Saban used to try to win with defense and a great running back and how he used to complain about the spread offenses and the haste and pace – that when he finally got on board with that yeah. and looking at how how good this offense was this year, I wasn't worried about Ohio State just because this was uh, this was probably, this is the best Alabama offense I would say that they ever had. You know what I'm saying? In the Nick Saban era. Because Tua, I got love for Tua, but I'm, I've never been the biggest Tua guy. One, because of injuries and to a certain degree against the best teams, he really didn't show off because that was just half of, that wasn't that was half a Georgia game. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. So I've never been like I, I root for Tua, but I've never been like, man, when Tua get to the pros, he's going to be that guy. But Sean, I thought Alabama was going to win because this offense was just humming too well for Ohio State to be able to keep up. You know what? Shout out to Nick Saban for making that transformation and realizing mm -hmm. where the game was going. You know, and that's, you know, Nick Saban, I give him credit. He's the greatest college coach I've ever, ever seen. 
ever. Not because you know, he's such a great defensive coordinator or a great defensive mind. He understands how to surround himself with people that are smarter than him. Facts. And he is comfortable enough to know that he is the guy. You know, to use Reggie Jackson's words, he is the straw that stirs the drink. Mm-hmm. Like, he's comfortable enough. And he puts guys like Sark. And he's not afraid to go get guys that have had issues. Right. Allow them an opportunity to reclaim their lives and their reputation at the mm-hmm. University of Alabama. We saw it with um, Kiffin. Kiffin who's now mm-hmm. in Mississippi. And Sark, you know, he, now he takes the job at Texas. I'm a man, I'm really going to pray for him. Now, listen, that is, you, you're dooming yourself. They want that's, to that's, they That job it. is not as easy as people think. Come on, man. So, Come yeah, on. Listen, it's like Michigan with worse standards and a bigger fan base. It's like, it's never going to happen. Just yes. give up. Yes. So, you know, not, not on the field, so much, but I'm gonna pray for him off the field because I know the issues oh, and the demons he's had to yeah. deal with. That's facts, that's facts. And down in Texas, it's a lot of temptation. It's a mm. lot of temptation if everything's not going right. So I'm definitely gonna pray for him, man. But like I said, Sark, what Sark did last night and what he was able to do in creating the offense to get Najee Harris, Mechie, and Devontae Smith in space. Right. And, and made it simple for Mac Jones. Just, man, it was almost like a point guard. Just get your guys the ball on the move in space and just watch them work. That was the offense. That was simply the offense, bro. Whether it was using motion, mm-hmm. whether it was using formation to dictate, whether it was RPOs to open up the quick slant. Like, there was nothing. They ran quick slants, fly routes. Right, wing passes, bro. That was nothing fancy about the offense <laughs> at all. And right. you're sitting there saying, "Why can't they stop this?" This is simple, but it's because the collection of talent. It right. probably is the greatest collection of offensive talent I've seen on the field for Alabama. Yes, without a doubt. Yes, without. I mean, I, I have to say that for Alabama, when you look at that receiving room, which is receiver you, when you look at dude. Who knew Mac Jones was going to be like Wait this? Wait a minute. Is it receiver you? I don't know. LSU might have a... Have they a may have something to say. I, I'll give you a little bit, but you listen. <laughs> you know, come on now. You know, who, who would you take, OBJ or Julio, if you had your druthers, all right? You're going to go with the Julio. You know you're going to go, well, which one, Sean? Which one would you take? No, I'm taking, I'm taking that. that no, you'll get Julio out of my mouth real fast. Okay, okay. No. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> And then uh, Najee Harris, what you said that you would like the Bears to draft and how just dominant he is. Like that that offensive line, this was the best Alabama, Alabama offense. Um, and it was great to see them. Devontae Smith, I'll say this too. All right, I got sick of Kirk, Kirk Herbstreit with the do it right mess yesterday. <laughs> Receivers don't say anything and, you know, keep like, listen, if that's the way that you want to do it, fine. You know what I'm saying? But you shouldn't castigate someone for doing it the, the way they're doing it and also diss the players who, who opted out. You, you shouldn't diss the players. That's wrong of you to diss the players that opted out. All right? Man, and then on top of that, he must not really watch Alabama football because mm-hmm. Devontae talks that talk. That's what I was thinking, too. Like He might not be as demonstrative exactly. as anybody else, but Devontae talks that talk. Yes, he does. Yes, yeah, he does. Go to that LS, LSU game. He was letting Stingley know. Hey. All right, you out here with a man, man. That's All right. right. I do right. this. 
right? I do this. It's, it's, like you said, it's not demonstrative, but you can see the chatter and you know that he is sitting there telling, uh, telling the cat, dude, you cannot keep up with me. But listen, one thing I, I did want to ask you, because I know you had, and I don't know if you still had it, you had the Under the Dome podcast. Because, of course, your executive producer for the uh, Under the Hood with Jay Hood. Shout out to our guy, Jay Hood. Definitely yeah. a big brother. So looking at ND, I want to get some ND in before we, we leave college and do a little bit of socks talk before you get out of here. Uh, looking at ND and, and the fact that to me, you know, Kelly do his thing over there. It's kind of like we, we were talking about Texas and Michigan. Yeah. Notre Dame is actually like they're being Notre Dame and doing Notre Dame well to me. As someone who used to love Notre Dame back in the day, so they played Tyrone Willingham. Uh, and let Charlie Weiss uh, stay there longer while he did worse than Willingham with Willingham's players. Right. All right. When you look at Quinn and you know, say like, so I I bailed at that point because I used to, I grew up I grew up unfortunately loving Lou Holtz. All right. I, unfortunately, I grew up <laughs> loving Lou Holtz. But but what are your thoughts? Because to me, when when people were getting on them about winning in the big game, it's like, dude, you they can't beat Alabama. Y'all going too far with it right there. Being able to dominate the ACC. Right. They're being a dominant ACC team, taking out Clemson this year. And listen, I don't care if Trevor Lawrence wasn't there. Clemson's talent is supposed to be so great. The quarterback being gone, they're still supposed to be Notre Dame. Right. right. So that, was, right. that was a victory, victory to me. But what are your thoughts as far as the expectations for Notre Dame? Are they reaching those or, or is it unrealistic? Well, with Clark Lee taking the position of head coach and uh, leaving the defensive coordinator spot over at Notre Dame, uh, they hit a home run and getting Marcus Freeman from Cincinnati. Mm. Absolutely home run. Um, the deal for F- the, he was originally going to LSU, according to reports, the deal was done. Mm. Brian Kelly upped his offer, called him, said whatever he needed to say, and the next day, he was in South Bend, you mm. know, signing on the dotted line. So that right there is a home run uh, because – we were taking on water. Notre Dame was taking on water after that loss to, to Alabama. And what I mean by that is they had gotten in three days, they had gotten up to seven to eight transfers. Mm. And these weren't guys that were just like, you know, kids that just weren't happy with the fact they weren't getting playing time. These were kids that were going to be starting and in the uh, top two on the depth chart. So, I mean, you're losing guys that are supposed to be starting for you on both sides of the ball. Mm. You can't do that. And we're going into a season where we really don't have a quarter, uh, quarterback. We uh, Jack Cohn, the former quarterback of Wisconsin, he transferred in. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, he lost his job to Hornsbrook <laughs> and Mertz, you know, right. up in Wisconsin. So what are you really getting? And then we have Tyler Buckner coming in who's a four-star freshman, and we're looking at him to be that next guy. But once again, he's one of those smaller six-feet, 203-pound quarterbacks that's similar to Ian Book. Mm-hmm. The problem, and this is what I ask people, if you put Trevor Lawrence on Notre Dame, that Alabama game becomes a little bit more interesting. Mm-hmm. It becomes a little bit more interesting. I'm not saying they beat Alabama. No, no, but I get what you're saying. But you're talking about an elite quarterback and talent. Absolutely. Book, book, you know, he's he's good for a college quarterback. Yes. You know, like he's the epitome of a really good college quarterback. But you know, on a, on Sunday, that cat wouldn't be out there on the field starting. Yeah, because when you start getting to saying you want to get to that next level, that's that's grown man. That's like semi-pro NFL. That's really what it is. When you watch Alabama, when you watch Ohio State, when you watch Clemson. Like 
15 of the top 100 players right. in mock drafts played in that game last night, that's that's crazy. Right. And that's not talking about the underclass kids that are no. still in the back. Yeah. Right. And most of them are projected to go in the first two rounds. So mm-hmm. that's what you have to get to. That's the level your program has to get to. And, you know, it's almost impossible because Notre Dame, just because of academic reasons, they just can't go after certain five and four stars. They just can't. Right. Right. That is going right. to Clemson and Alabama, those being public institutions, Notre Dame being a private institution that really hangs its hat on this academic prowess. Mm-hmm. So with all of that being said, you're right. Brian Kelly has done a fantastic job. I was worried about him. He had lost his way, I would say, about three, four years ago. But he took a step back. He changed the direction of the program. He changed his approach. And now you can mark Notre Dame to be a top 10 team each and every year. And they're going to win 10 games. Now they're right on the neck of Clemson in the ACC. On Dabo's ass, as deservedly so. Trevor Lawrence is gone, but I mean, DJ Uwegalele, is that's a big boy. That's a big boy that's a right big there, boy. man. That, that game, watching him. He proved that when he went on the road at Notre Dame and put up 400 yards, that, hey, I'm coming. Man, he's coming. But I'm listen, coming. Sean, listen, I want to get you out of here on this. The Sox signed Liam Hendricks real quick. Yeah. Uh, what are your thoughts on that sign, and how do you feel about that team this 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 year? Yeah, when I talked to Lamont Pope about it like last week before the deal happened, we were kind of in anticipation mode. And I told him, I said, if you give me Hoyer, Crochet, Bummer, and mm-hmm. Liam Hendricks on the back end, I'm good. I'm good. With you know, three bona fide starters? Yes. Outside of the kids? Yes. And if Ethan Katz can do anything with Ooh. either Dylan Cease or Michael Kopech, if Dude. we can get anything from one of those two, look, White Sox fans have so much Padres envy right now. Don't do that. Don't right? say they, that. We have so much Padres envy. That damn Gatorade commercial come on here, man. I can tell the old lady, like, you see that dude right here? He's yeah. supposed to be on my team. Dude, I don't even see whose name should not be spoken. All right. right? It's what I say. But please, though, I was enjoying this interview. You brought up the Padres. Show. But, no, look, man, love the one you have. Okay. Love this White Sox team. That's my message to White Sox fans, man. Look, I, we understand. We know what it is. We mm. know the checkbook we have. We've been knowing that. So why get upset? The it's still hard, Sean. The ownership, hard. the ownership is not changing. You have nope. a young quarter that's locked up to 25, 26. So we're good for another four or five years with this young core. We just got baby Cespedes out of the international pool. Right. We just right. got the number one starting pitcher out of the international pool. We've yet, yet to see Andrew Vaughn take the field. Like, we have Rutherford down there. And from what we heard last year, we have some guys that played rookie ball two years ago that are on the come as well. So, Rick Hahn has done a fantastic job of developing the entire pipeline from beginning to end, from the Major League 40-man roster all the way down to rookie ball. The pipeline is set. We should be really good for the next 10 years. I'm not saying we're going to contend, but the days of us winning 60 games, I don't think we see that for another, at least for 8 to 10 years. Be happy about that. And look, stop stressing over San Diego spending all this money. 
the question. I don't care about that. It's Tatis that I care about. We also got another Tatis in the farm system. No, no, no. Forget Tatis. I can never forget, forget Tatis. Him. It's the fact that we went and got James Shields for him. <laughs> That's what made it worse. Listen, <laughs> even then, I said that was a bad trade because I remember me and D was arguing uh, because the Sox and the Cubs had jumped out that season. I was like, this is false hope. The Sox ain't going to be able to maintain. They yeah. should just be taking. And for like the, the fact that they didn't talent evaluate and make that trade is still is going to burn my side. But you're right. We should definitely enjoy this. And listen, I always appreciate it. Uh, I want to, and we'll do it in the future. I want to get into ministry uh, talk with you. All right. Oh, and maybe sure. that's. Maybe that's a flip, but we got to start doing this more regularly. I miss you, brother. I appreciate you, appreciate you joining on. I love what you and your wife did with your young daughter out there appreciate at the USC, you. man. And, and be proud of what you all did, and I will talk to you down the line, bro. Hey, man, as a Notre Dame fan, you ain't have to tell people what school she went to, man. Now you're going to have you're gonna have MD cast coming <laughs> I apologize. I apologize. I'm <laughs> just messing with you, man. All I appreciate right. you. Love you, bro. No, love you too, man. Be safe out there, bro. Yes, sir. No doubt. And that is Sean Davis, ST2 Mike's producer at ESPN Chicago. Also, make sure you check out According to a Source Pod. That is A2S Pod 1. Uh, Ryan joins back. Uh, Ryan, thanks for, for, for getting to get, even though I, I got to get. But listen, uh, before we get You're out welcome. of here, did you have any off top, I mean, up for grabs you want to go over before we jump out? Yeah, I got one up for grabs. What? the okay. heck do we do from here now that the Bears are eliminated? Is there anything worth watching in these NFL playoffs? Are you going for anybody? Anything? Talk to me. I'm going for Green Bay versus KC. Uh, that is what I, that's what that's what I want to see. I want to see Baby go against Aaron Rodgers is, is what I want to see. I'm going to look forward to the old man bowl with uh, with the, uh, the NFC South when it comes to Tom Brady and uh, uh, Drew Brees and the old man bowl. I'm going to look forward to that. I'm going to look forward to see if Josh Allen doesn't implode. And I'm, I'm a Josh Allen guy. I, I had him coming out of that draft over Baker Mayfield and Lamar Jackson, to be honest. Uh, a lot of people that have Lamar rated as high as he should have been. Uh, but, yeah, that's what I'm looking forward to. What about you? What are you looking forward to? Ugh, he just made me throw up with that Aaron Rodgers. Uh yeah, I like the old man bowl. That's a good one. The Ben Gage is coming off the trophy. <laughs> it's just flowing off the trophy. Uh, you know what I would love to see? I would love to see your little Baker Mayfield, Josh Allen matchup. I think Ooh. that would be a lot of fun. That'll be that'll be that'll be a good one. And I guess Ryan, we got to switch over to doing a little bit of basketball and getting ready for this uh, this MLB season, but. Definitely, we always appreciate everybody joining us. Shout out to Sean Davis for joining us. Also, we're probably going to have a J.J. Stankovich interview uh, coming up to talk about the Bears. Uh, I always appreciate the way that the J.J. views the Bears. Also, uh, just make sure you check out Flipping Friends, and we always appreciate it. Uh, and be safe out there because we know uh, nowadays it's crazy out here in these streets.